Uh, if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to 1 Timothy. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 4. And uh, as I was sharing earlier, this, uh, this is a doctrine. Um, it's called, the I think I'm pronouncing this properly, the beatific vision. Um, it's, it's making kind of a uh, resurgence, even though for, for most of us in the evangelical world, it's something that we would readily just, oh yeah, we'd embrace because we hold, typically hold to eternal security, that, um, that there's going to be a perseverance for, for those who are genuine, genuinely saved, and that Christ is going to bless and honor us in his presence. But I think there, especially with the prosperity gospel, there's an emphasis that we tend to see embraced amongst evangelicals. Hey, Will, I'm getting a little bit of a ring. Are you hearing that? I don't, it's not a ring so much. Maybe it's just a, an echo. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just hot. Um, not physically. Yeah, physically. But also, um, also uh, I'm, I'm not talking about appearance. <laughs> Did he agreed? Julie, I'm sorry. <laughs> now I'm really hot. Um, <laughs> gosh. Um, how do you recover? <laughs> yeah, it's gone, Shay. It's just totally out the window. Uh, so, the, yeah, so, so prosperity gospel. What, what tends to happen in the prosperity gospel is there's this focus on what we receive, that, that everything is about like the Lord being the one to bless us and provide for us, and we're going to secure these things. And especially for in the prosperity gospel, it's about temporal things. But I think it also translates over into a lot of attitudes about the eternal things, that we're going to get all of these things when we get to heaven, and it's much more about, hey, we're going to have new bodies, we're going to have the new earth, we're going to have the new heaven, and we're going to get a, a mansion, you know, a room in a mansion, all these things that God's prepared for us. And all those things are true, but who's the focus in all those things? It's us, right? And, and, and yeah, they're missing it, Tony. It, it's, it, so, like, and, and, and I'm going to get, I'm going to jump on a soapbox real quick, because a friend of um, Nathan Washburn, who's a pastor at First Baptist Greenbrier, he and I were talking a couple weeks ago, and um, one of the things that we, we both have recognized, there's this trend at funerals for people to talk about the person that's passed gaining their wings like, and becoming angelic, that is wrong theology. I think, I think in the, 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 what's happened is people have been allowed to teach and preach at funerals and songs have been written with these kind of ideas that have been adopted. That's not what heaven's going to be like, okay? We're not going to be angel, angelic. We're going to have new bodies. But I will recognize my wife, but we're not going to be given in marriage in heaven. My, my experience in heaven is not being about reunited with my grandparents. Though I will see them, in, at them and it will be an awesome experience, and, and if the Lord tarries and my parents pass, it will be about seeing them. But, but it's not, that is not the end goal. The end goal is this beatific vision of being in front of Christ. And folks, we need to embrace that, and that needs to be like the desire of our heart much more than all these other things that we will gain. And I think the scriptures clearly teach this. And so this is an opportunity for us to look at this, to, to maybe be charged up about like a, a really clear understanding of these things. Um, and, and part of it, I think the reason for it, for, for the Lord driving me to this in, in recent months, um, is I don't know if you're like me, but a lot of the things that are happening 
um, in, in our world, whether that be earthquakes, whether it be the storms of this weekend, whether it be political issues. And I, I know every generation has probably said this, but there's, there's to me, I'm, I'm at least in my almost 54-year, mid-50s, I'm becoming more and more sensitive to the approaching end of time. And more importantly, the second coming of Christ. And I'm even finding myself saying this, I'm planning this and I'll do it if the Lord tarries. Like that is like actually part of my thinking. Whereas in my 30s, I was just like, I'm going to have lots of time. I'm, I'm, I got, you know, I'm going to put this stuff in place. And I, I just wasn't thinking about the proximity of Christ's second coming. But getting a little bit older and watching these things, I, I just feel more sensitive about that. And I'm not being prophetic. I'm not saying that we need to start prepping for those things because truly as believers, I don't think we need to. We don't need to worry about Christ takes care of the church in every circumstance. And historically, we've seen that. So I'm not saying rush out and do all these things. Matt said the end of the world's coming. No, 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 no. But what we do need to know is we need to know the importance of hanging and clinging on to Christ. That's why that song, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. Is there any greater promise than us getting to behold our Savior? See, we've only looked through faith at Him, but we're going to get to behold Him face to face. It, it, it's it's, it's going to be amazing, much more than the mansion, much more than seeing granddaddy and grandmother and grandma and grandpa. It's going to be seeing Jesus. It's going to be awesome, and that needs to be our focus. And, and then because of that focus, it ought to shape how we live our lives today. So I want us to, to jump in to the scripture, okay? Um, Look at 1 Timothy 4. I got to get there. Um, 1 Timothy 4. Um, actually, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy 6. So if I, I told you it's 4, I told you the wrong chapter. 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6. And we're going to be in verses 12 through 16. And this will probably be a, a fairly familiar passage to you. Um, but it's interesting because when Paul writes to, to especially Timothy and Titus, these are two younger guys that he is leaving um, and the charge and responsibility of helping to establish churches. And he's imparted to them both instructions and then also, I think, perspectives that, they, that he wants the churches, these young churches, to, to have about the totality and health of what church ministry looks like. And so as Paul, in his latter part of his life, is writing to these guys, he's wanting to, to like nail some things down. So that, to me, that's part of this heartbeat principle of why we need to, to look at these things carefully. So 1 Timothy 6, um, verse 12. Now, I'm going to also challenge my guys in here. When, when I went through uh, raising a modern-day knight with Christian, he was, I think we started that when he was 10 years old, we, we developed this shield, and one of the, the pieces of the shield um, was about fighting the good fight of faith. It comes from this passage. Because if I want my son or my daughters to do anything in their life, it is to fight the good fight of faith, to remain faithful to the Lord despite all of the challenges that they're going to be faced with, all of the criticism from lost people, all the challenges of the world. If they will fight the good fight of faith, they will remain in the faith. They will love the Lord, they will love His church, and they will serve. And, and fortunately for us, with the older two, and we're still seeing this with Juliana too, just she's 17, they're 25, almost 25 and almost 24. So I know that's still young, 
but they're shaping their lives with those kind of values because we emphasize this kind of passage. And it starts here, and then I want you to see what it takes, like what the goal is. When we fight the good fight of faith, what is the reward? That's, that's why I picked this context, okay? So, verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Man, oh man, we could stand there for a year and just camp out on all that stuff. It is so much packed into that. I'm not going to do that, though. He says in verse 13 now, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. Now, here's the key. Until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So what is this beatific vision? It is the idea of this happy vision or this idea of a blessed vision that we would attain the uh, a, a vision or the uh, Christ uh, appearing before us would occur. That, that upon his second coming, we would see him and the fulfillment of our fighting the good fight of faith would, would be ended. Like, there's a word, um, it's a Greek word, I don't know if you've heard it before, it's an important word, it's the word telos, T-E-L-O-S, is how you transcribe it. It simply means the end result, like, so, so when you think about, like, working towards something, like, uh, here, here's one, I, I've taken on redoing my deck over the last couple of a week, it's a big project. I cannot wait till the last screw goes into that deck, <laughs> just like, amen, right? Uh, it, when that goes down, it's going to be telos, the end. It is done. It is finished, right? But, but the goal is going to be actually what? The last screw, but then really it's the enjoyment of the deck, right? It, it's not so much the screw going in, but it's getting to sit there with all the furniture out, the fire pit in the center, the two little fans that we have that are outdoor fans, and, and we'll string some lights around, and we got kind of a little design, and us sitting there enjoying that on a spring evening. Cannot wait. We built it a little bigger because our family's grown a little bit. We need to put everybody on there, right? So that's the end. The end is the enjoyment, the fulfillment of that. Folks, that's what it's going to be when Christ appears. It's not all the other stuff. It's the relationship that happens. And, and hear me in my deck analogy. It's not about the board being down, certainly physically. I get all that stuff for me. But it's about the relationships that happen as we enjoy the deck. It's not about the furniture. It's not about the fire pit. All of it is about Katie and I sitting there. It's about the kids coming out and sitting there and fellowshipping. That is the beauty of what it's going to be when Christ comes again. Fellowshipping with him, seeing him as he is. Let's, let's look at another passage, because it's interesting. 
that again, Paul's writing to Timothy, so he's written him this second letter, and you hear this kind of doxology, like as he gets to this, uh, the appearing of Christ, and he goes on, he talks about it, and get the amen, the glory of Christ, and all those things. Well, he writes Timothy a second letter, so turn over to 2 Timothy. Now we're in chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to be reading verses 1 and 2 and then verse 8. So here he says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. What is the motivation for everything that Timothy has been instructed to do in ministry? And and, and this is interesting because I'm tying something real quickly here. Last week we looked at Malachi 1.1, and the focus was on what? The burden of the word of the Lord. The burden of the word of the Lord is centered here in the same sense on what? The appearing of Christ. That when we know we're going to see Christ again, all of these things that come through are, 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 are a result of the preaching of the word are essential. So, so, so you follow me. Listen again to what it says. By his appearing in his kingdom. That is the means, the focal point by which we do everything in ministry. That is a powerful statement. But I think often we lose sight of that, don't we? We, we, we end up focusing on my needs, my wants, my family's wants and needs. None of those things are wrong in and of themselves. But if that's the telos, the end, we've missed it. We've missed it. It ought to be about Christ being before him and experiencing him in his kingdom. Look at verse 8. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Isn't that a great way to look at that? That, that Certainly we're going to get these rewards, But it's rooted in what? The love of his appearing before us. That we would enter into his presence and we would experience the person of Jesus Christ. You think about this, and and this is just a little bit of editorial out of some of the stuff I've studied. How many people wanted or had the opportunity to witness Jesus or the Lord in the Old Testament, especially at some point? But we're limited in that. I think about Moses. What happened with Moses when the Lord appeared to him? Well, it was in the burning bush. There was this theophany. He actually didn't see him. The burning bush never consumed. I want to add that. Okay? But he knew that, that was the Lord who appeared to him. We also have Moses wanting to see the Lord, and the Lord walks away from him. He was, was hidden in the cleft of the rock, and he sees the back of the glory of God. We see Moses also went on to the Mount Sinai and received the Ten Commandments. And we know that in some way, the glory of God shone around him or before him. And he was never the same. But, but there was a limit to that appearing. There will be no limit when we see Jesus in his kingdom. We will behold him face to face. That's the beatific vision. That is the blessed direction we're going that, that is the end of all things for us. I, I can't imagine what it's going to be like to, to be before him 
and everything else kind of drift into the, the like I'm, in my mind's eye, it's kind of like that vision where you have the camera lens focusing on this and everything else kind of goes into blur or drifts into the background. It's the panoramic shots now, right? not the panoramic, it's the portrait shots where the portrait blurs out the background and everything, but the, the person at the center focus is all that's in focus. I have a feeling that's a little taste of what us experiencing the appearing of Jesus is going to be like. There will be nothing else that we want to behold. We'll be so eager to experience that moment with him. Look at verse 1 John. 1 John 3. Again, I hope those of you on Wednesday night also, again, I know I went back and looked, looked at that in our prayer, but come behold the wondrous mystery. It is that light. That, that, that writer um, focused in on the light coming to us. And First and John's had that theme. And, and that light appearing to us in the darkness. Well, that theme comes back around in here in chapter 3. Um, let's look at verse 2 here. Um, it says this. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. Wow. What, what we operate with in faith, and I'm thinking specifically about the definition of faith in Hebrews 11. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. Right? And I know that's a little bit of a paraphrase. But faith is us trusting the object of our faith whom we've never seen, whom we never behold. We have historical evidence of him. We looked at that in 1 John this last week as we started the interpretive work. This, this passage makes it clear that we shall see him as he is. Faith will become sight in that moment. How incredible that will be. I, I don't know about you, but that, that to me says, I don't, wanna, I don't care about seeing the bed in my room in the mansion. Yeah, it's prepared for me. I don't care so much about walking the streets of gold. I don't care so much that my, there will be no more tears in heaven. I, I, I get it about my family and friends, but to see Jesus as he is, the one who has come in the flesh, suffered, and died on my behalf, I, I will see the stripes that, that he suffered to pay the penalty for my sin. I will see the, the wounds in his hands and his feet. The marks in his forehead. And I'll be before him and I'll be able to rejoice and say thank you. And I won't touch those because I doubt, like Thomas. I will touch those to say, praise you, Jesus. All glory and honor and majesty are yours. May I lay the crown back before you. Because you are the object who is worthy of all worship. That's the beatific vision. That is the blessed hope. It's not what we're going to get. It's about the relationship with Christ. Folks, this world wants to strip that glorious vision away from us. It wants to make things about our, our selfish lives. I, uh, I hope you understand the, the power of this doctrine. Um, I, I want to read something I've written here. Um, because there's a ton more that, that we could explore on this. But I, 
But again, I, I just kind of wanted to do a little bit of devotional thought on this, reintroduce something that you may not have been focusing on. But I want to take this just a, a quick little turn, and then we're going to enter to t- time of prayer. Michael's going to lead us in that. Um, what then are we to do with this doctrine? I think that's the key question, right? So I want to read a paragraph, and I want to give you three things, okay? Some of you have read John Piper's book, Desiring God. How many of you have read that? Raise your hands really high. Okay, too few. <laughs> okay, it, it is a great, great work. Um, Basically, John Piper is a um, kind of a, how should I say, he's highly influenced or strongly influenced by Jonathan Edwards. And so he takes a lot of the thoughts and ideas of Jonathan Edwards, um, and he then uh, unpacks those in a modern perspective and approach. Desiring God is one of those books, and it's, it's, it's thick, but it's an easy, fast read. And he talks about this concept, he, he's kind of termed it called... Uh, well, it's not kind of, it's, it's termed Christian hedonism. Don't think about that in the terms of what we normally think of in hedonism. It's that the end desire of us, that, that um, greatest longing, is our relationship with Christ. That, that's what he's driving at. And so he, he says that this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. If I could just nutshell that book, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That's the beatific vision. Us glorifying, that goes back to the the first question of the the Westminster Catechism. What is man's chief end? To glorify God, and this is where the idea of hedonism comes in, enjoy and enjoy him forever. When we are glorifying God, we can't help but enjoy him. But when we're trying to glorify self, we don't enjoy him. So God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. That, I, I would highly recommend you go pick that book up and read it. It, it was so transforming. Gina, am I right in that? Yeah, just that's, that's certainly a book worth getting. It ref, it's reflected in this. Um, he also says, because this is a great statement, I want to read it. The delight of the soul is seeing and savoring Christ. Folks, if you're finding yourself dissatisfied with things right now in life, I would just ask this. Are you looking to Jesus and savoring Him? That's a simple question, but man, oh man, is it profound. Are you looking to Christ and savoring Him? Because I'll, I'll just tell you my struggle. I tend to get my eyes focused on other things, and I'm not saving Christ, and then I'm, I'm struggling. I can get anxious. I can get uh, OCD, you know, kind of takes on. I, <laughs> don't elbow anybody. <laughs> I see y'all doing that. No, I'll, I'll, I'll confess. So um, what night did the power go out? Was it Friday when all that stuff went down? Friday afternoon? Okay. So Friday, I went to bed with no power at like 9 o'clock. Okay, I never go to bed at 9 o'clock. I woke up at 12.30, something happened with the dogs or something. Is that right, Juliana? Yeah, so I woke up, something woke me up, and then I went, oh no, and I started looking on my phone, how long will food stay good in the refrigerator? And then I was like, oh no, I let it go past time. So I was like, okay, I've got to redeem some of this because we just bought new milk and new creamer for Juliana. Um, we we, We also have a half a cow that was uh, Katie traded with for some work this year. And so that's in the freezer. 
But I was like, we cannot lose this. So I'm, I'm obsessing all night long. So I woke up, grabbed a cooler out of the shed, so like walked out, grabbed the cooler out of the shed, brought it in, put some ice in, put the stuff in. I was like, that's going to keep it cold if the refrigerator starts to thaw. And then I'm like, what do I do the rest of the weekend? Because I saw somebody's post that this is maybe days. So I'm then going, I don't have a, uh, a generator. And so then if you notice what time I sent my text out, it was at like 12.36. Yeah, wh- why is he up at 12.36? Because I was obsessing about these things. I was up from 12.36 to after 5. I saw every hour on the clock. Sitting there, go to sleep, go to sleep. I thought about my dissertation. I thought about the food. I thought about getting a generator. I thought about what did I do if I can't get a generator? How do I put a, I was like, put a plea out of the church? What if nobody has one? What do I do? Okay, here's a plan. I, I mean, I rolled everything over my mind. And I'm not anxious. Normally, I am not anxious. But the last thing that was on my mind was Christ in the middle of all that. Just telling you. Okay? And, and guess what? I have other moments. Not in the middle of the storm and because of saving food and money and all that stuff. It can be other things. We're all capable of those things, okay? But I can tell you this. Working on this yesterday when, when Michael and I talked and there was still no power here at the church, man, oh, man, my perspective has changed. It's like the load lifted. And some of that had to do with some of the practical things. I had a generator provided, and I was like, okay, it's not as stressful and those things. But the better part of my weekend was just going over these thoughts, just resetting my eyes on Christ. And honestly, this is, this is my like prayerful, pastoral appeal to people in our community have Christ where they can reset. I do. I do. I need it. I need the reset. But people without Christ, what do they reset on? I, I, I don't know. What is their hope? This is where we've, we've talked about this, Lewis. Uh, the statement by C.S. Lewis, he says that there's an ache for the stab of joy. That's a good statement. And he says that we might reject the mud pies in the slum, and playing with the mud pies in the slums. You've heard me say that quote. That's where we spend too much time instead of taking holiday at the sea. He's referring to this idea of the beatific vision, of being before Christ, being at holiday by the sea, enjoying what God has created, but the, the end result of that is being with Jesus. I love this one. He talks about, C.S. Lewis does, about the, the, to go joyfully further up and further in to Aslan's country. If you love the Chronicles of Narnia, that's a phrase that's so powerful. Further up and further in to Aslan's country. To behold Jesus. So what are the three things? Here's what it provides. Here's what the beatific and the focus on this doctrine provides. First, an unquenchable desire to see God face to face. There ought to be that desire within every one of us as believers. And let me say this. If you're lost, that ought to be your desire too. I mean, to, to meet your creator, to meet your maker. To meet the one, the Jesus who you've heard so much about. Through your parents, your, your spouse or friends. Pulpit here. That ought to drive us. I don't want to even manipulate you by fear and the, the scare of hell and separation. Because here's the truth of what scripture tells us. And it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. It's the beauty of this vision that we all ought to long for. 
much more than the fear of those other things. Long to fall into the arms of Jesus. And if you can't do that because He's not your Savior, know that His kindness ought to be drawing you. It probably is. You're probably convicted that you're not longing for that. And instead, you want to find resolve so that you will anticipate seeing Jesus face to face. So that's the first thing. Second, recognize that it will provide an immediate reunion with Christ. That is the consummation, I love this picture, of the marriage that Christ has covenanted with us. There is a fulfillment. There's a fulfillment. We talked about that in the song this morning, that Christ, that has, through his sacrifice and obedience, he fulfilled the plan of God. It's fully not complete still. The covenant is going to ultimately be complete when we enter heaven before him. When, we, when he appears a second time and we go to be with him. That ought to drive us in our lives. That vision ought to, this is the third thing, produce in us a desire for righteous, pure, holy living. Because the promise of being before Christ is far sweeter than anything else that we can engage in. And so to honor him here means we best honor him there. And to honor him best there means we best honor him here. See, see how that works? It, it becomes this kind of reciprocal process where we long to be like Christ so he will be blessed and when, when he appears, we will present him well as his bride. Does that make sense? That's what it means to glorify him rightly. So it's really a practical doctrine that impacts everything we do. Our attitudes, our hearts, our perspectives, our obedience, I can list a thousand more things, honestly. Knowing Him and His Word. Spending time in prayer. Because that's a bit of the taste of what it's going to be. Even though we don't, we don't see Him, but it's a call to be with Him in His presence based on our knowledge of Him. All of those things, you can see how this, this beatific vision relates to so many things.